Hi everyone, how are you doing? This episode, I'm talking to Angelo Vijaya, uh, my my friend and a uh, young foreign policy enthusiast uh, who has a lot of initiatives on ASEAN affairs. He has just recently built uh, or established the UGM ASEAN Society, uh, which has a mission to build more awareness and understanding of Indonesian uh, youth uh, to ASEAN. And uh, this time, I'm going to talk about uh, a topic that he just presented uh, in front of the ASEAN Youth Organization, which is the challenges and opportunities of ASEAN cooperation amidst the U.S. and China rivalry. Uh, we haven't met uh, since last year, and I'm uh, so excited, to, you know, to catch up with him. And without further ado, let's talk to him. Hi Angelo, how are you doing? Hi Noto, how are, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good too. Thank you so much for giving your time for this Foreign Policy Talks interview. And thank you, thank you very much for having me. Great. So uh, everyone, listeners, um, today we have Angelo Vijaya. He's the advisor and I believe also the initiator of ASEAN Society at Universitas Gajah Mada in Yogyakarta, Indonesia. I'll send my regards to the, to the, to the friends at the society. Oh, absolutely, Dinoro. I, I, I will send your regards to uh, the friends in Ugema and Society. Great, thank you. Uh, I've just recently joined a forum convened by the ASEAN Youth Organization, and uh, and as as we know, the guest speaker was you, Angelo, and uh, mm-hmm. who was discussing on the challenges and opportunities of uh, ASEAN cooperation amidst the U.S. and China rivalry. Uh, I found it mm-hmm. was so interesting to explore more about this issue, and finally, here we are today. Yeah, uh, it was it was a very uh, great discussion as well with fellow young people, and I'm very glad that uh, we decided together to have this discussion today. Great. So, Angelo, our Foreign Policy Talks has several episodes which are highlighting the huge perspectives, and I believe there are many inspiring and thoughtful young people in this world, uh, and I'm happy to share what is my conversation with them through this podcast channel, and this time is with you. Um, Angelo, I think, uh, as we know, that the U.S.-China rivalry has intensified significantly in Southeast Asia over the past year. Uh, we know also that many Asians are worried about the rising influence of China in the region and the ways how the U.S. is rebalancing China, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we also know that the rivalry uh, that we see is not only on the political level, but mm-hmm. spread over the security and economic uh, sphere. Yeah? In your observation, mm-hmm. uh, Angelo, what are the most present problems experienced by ASEAN uh, caused by the inevitable uh, tension between the U.S. and China? Okay, uh, thank you very much for this question. Uh, I think there are a lot of problems uh, that are experienced by ASEAN, but I'd like to try to highlight some of them. Uh, The first thing that come to my mind when we're talking about the problems experienced by ASEAN amidst this US-China rising tension is the fact that, uh, especially during this COVID-19 pandemic, is the fact that the COVID-19 crisis has deepened the U.S.-China rivalry that has the impact uh, on ASEAN. Uh, the first thing is that I'm afraid that U.S. and uh, the U.S.-China rivalry will force ASEAN 
further to pick sides, whether to pick to join the American camp or the Chinese camp, so to speak. So if this were to happen, I'm afraid that this will take toll on uh, ASEAN unity. The second thing that uh, I observe as a young person is America's puzzling foreign policy. Uh, people out there are, are still grappling with uh, the U.S. foreign policy and how to make sense of their foreign policy. So on the one hand, the U.S. has neglected ASEAN. Donald Trump didn't show up at U.S. ASEAN meetings and both sides uh, decided to cancel the supposed uh, ASEAN-U.S. summit that was scheduled to take place on March. And there was no news uh, if both sides intend to move the summit to latter date nor to hold a virtual summit as, as ASEAN did with some other countries. So this neglect of ASEAN is also, or uh, the Southeast Asia or Asia Pacific region in general, is also uh, shown by uh, Trump's decision uh, to abandon the Trans-Pacific Partnership or the TPP, which could have served as the anchor, so to speak, of American leadership, not only in the broader Asia Pacific region, but also uh, in the Southeast Asian region. On the other hand, this puzzling foreign policy has the element of uh, you know, the fact that the U.S. seems to be very interested in the region. So the U.S. tries to rebalance China uh, and China's Belt and Road Initiative through the Indo-Pacific Cooperation. And the U.S. also tr tries to ensure the freedom of navigation in South China Sea by increasing, uh, you know, the passage of its vessels there. So I think there is something missing in Trump's foreign policy here compared to that of Obama's. In Obama, uh, in Obama's administration, the president realizes the importance of America's Southeast Asian partners in its China strategy. And here, we are yet to see Trump's China strategy uh, and the role of America's Southeast Asian partners in its China strategy. The third thing that I think uh, is very important to highlight is the fact that uh, U.S. isolationism and continued antagonization of China uh, is really taking toll on its cooperation with ASEAN and its broader Southeast Asian partners. The, the act of uh, retreat by the U.S. from multilateral institutions and its declining interest to show leadership in the world uh, has posed a really big challenge for ASEAN and, and let alone its continued retreat from multilateral institutions while antagonizing China, right? So that is definitely that is definitely constructive uh, for the continued engagement that we're all supposed to do uh, to China. Uh, I mean, not constructive. And especially because China today is still very much uh, a mystery. We don't know much about China and how the leadership in Beijing will unfold in the next decade or two when China uh, finally becomes the biggest economy in the world, so to speak. So that three things, uh, not though. Uh, who, who do you mean by we? Do you mean by ASEAN or Indonesia? Uh, I, I would say it's ASEAN as, as an organization, as a regional organization. Mm, great. Interesting. So you're saying that uh, because of the missing uh, foreign policy under autonomous administration and also the American national isolationism and um, that is rising now, so China is now taking more benefits uh, from this situation, right? Um, yeah, you can say that. Great. Uh, Angelo, I'd like to quote uh, Adam Swartz at Asia Time in November 2019. Uh, 
he mm -hmm. mentioned that ASEAN needs a bigger voice uh, to anticipate mm -hmm. the impact of the US-China rivalry. Mm -hmm. uh, and ASEAN itself has been largely absent from the discussion of reducing the scale of tension. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, even we have a, you know, more irrelevance at exactly the time when ASEAN needs to be more uh, united and to be mm -hmm. at, the, at the front of this uh, tension, right? Uh, mm -hmm. what, are, what are the most significant challenges for ASEAN to be more relevant? And in your view, are we trapped in the middle of this two major power? Um, first of all, uh, I think yes. We can safely that we are. We can safely say that we are in a way trapped in this rivalry. Uh, but that is not to say that there is no way out, right? I think ASEAN can escape this trap. Uh, some ASEAN countries are still occupied domestically, uh, uh, if that's what we're talking about, uh, in terms of, um, you know, the challenges for ASEAN to be more relevant. But I think uh, Mr. Suarez also mentioned that, that some ASEAN countries are still occupied domestically. Uh, and I think uh, that very issue presents a challenge for ASEAN to become more relevant in international relations of the Asia-Pacific region. Uh, let alone in the world. So, as you know, uh, you know, in in Malaysia, for example, they have their domestic challenge in their politics. In Singapore as well, we see that the ruling party is not as strong as it was before. And in some other countries as well, like they're uh, facing a lot of different challenges domestically. So, that occupation in ASEAN members, domestic politics presents uh, the challenge for ASEAN to be more united and uh, to be more significant, so to speak. The second thing that I, that I observe is the fact that ASEAN as an organization is still very much divided. Uh, some countries are naturally aligned uh, to China and are having a relationship with China, while some other countries have been historically close to the U.S. And it is not easy and it is not uh, definitely not beneficial for those countries to sever their ties to the U.S. And so this division in ASEAN on their preference uh, in terms of which big powers to follow, so to speak, uh, presents a challenge for ASEAN to come together to have a unity and to be more uh, relevant in the future. But I also said in the beginning that ASEAN can escape this trap. Uh, how can ASEAN escape this trap, right? Uh, I would say that ASEAN should diversify to minimize its dependence on these two big powers. And an option would, uh, worth considering is to work uh, closely with other middle powers in the region and in the world. You might also have heard of interregionalism, uh, for example, uh, through the ASEAN-EU cooperation or ASEAN cooperation with other middle powers. Uh, and working on uh, plurilater plurilateral cooperation could also be beneficial in my view. I think that interregionalism, uh, cooperation between middle powers and plurilateral cooperation could offer a possible solution to this, so to speak, uh, trap for ASEAN. Mm, interesting. So we need to diversify uh, our relation with more um, middle powers, you said, right? I, I would say yes. Great. Oh, Angelo, we know that the growing contentious situation between the U.S. and China and also the impacts of the, you know, the unprecedented COVID-19 pandemic have tested ASEAN centrality. 
in your view, can ASEAN maintain its centrality and how we should hold this as a way to move forward, uh, move forward from this trap? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, optimistically speaking, uh, yes, I would say as a young person, uh, I would say that ASEAN will be able to maintain its centrality. And interestingly, Noto, uh, I did some readings on this, right? And I think and I would argue that ASEAN has managed to keep itself relevant, uh, especially in times of this crisis, of this uh, COVID-19 crisis. Mm. So as early as February, uh, we observed that ASEAN and China, they uh, hold this, they held this talk, uh, the special ASEAN-China foreign ministers meeting on COVID-19 as early as February. Mm. So it is, it, is, it is followed by other uh, dialogues between ASEAN and its partners. For example, the ASEAN-China economic ministers uh, meeting on combating the coronavirus disease or even ASEAN-US health ministers meeting on COVID-19, mm. ASEAN-Japan economic ministers meeting, uh, even with Russia and with Australia. So what I'm trying to say here is that uh, amidst this pandemic, ASEAN has maintained its centrality as the, you know, as the, as the heart of the framework of cooperation in the region and ASEAN has managed to attract, uh, has managed to attract it, its partners to keep ASEAN a relevant uh, institution uh, amidst this pandemic. So the next thing that I'd like to point out as well is the fact that all initiatives uh, in the Asia Pacific or in Southeast Asia, I think it will be better that all initiatives should be anchored in ASEAN. So for example, the Indo-Pacific uh, cooperation as well, when you're talking about ASEAN centrality, right? Uh, maintaining ASEAN centrality. So I think that the Indo-Pacific cooperation should be anchored in ASEAN and ASEAN should maintain its uh, centrality there. And the, the idea of an Indo-Pacific cooperation should not antagonize China. Uh, and the fact that ASEAN has adopted the ASEAN outlook on Indo-Pacific has shown that ASEAN has an appetite for an, for an inclusive Indo-Pacific. And we also have the, this framework, the East Asian Summit, that is centered on ASEAN as it, uh, as it hearts. Uh, and I believe that in the future, we should use that uh, and we should develop further that framework as a platform for future uh, Indo-Pacific Indo initiatives. Mm, interesting. Um, I'd like to continue by okay, talking about ASEAN again. Uh, we, we, we know that ASEAN has just convened the 36th ASEAN Summit and the summit was focused mm -hmm. to discuss more on the COVID-19 pandemic response mm -hmm. and uh, you know, post-pandemic recovery and for the cooperation with partner countries. Um, the mm -hmm. summit were, were, was also discussed about the South China Sea and the importance of RCEP during this hard time. Mm -hmm. Uh, what has the COVID pandemic told ASEAN cooperation so far? We know that, you know, the debates around uh, uh, ASEAN cooperation, some of are saying that uh, we are weaker and some are saying mm -hmm. we are stronger. What, what's your view on this? Uh, which, uh, what do you think? Are we, are we weaker or uh, getting stronger uh, by, uh, mm -hmm. after the pandemic or caused by this pandemic? Mm -hmm. Okay, so responding to that very question, whether ASEAN is weaker or stronger, um, it is true that maybe the, the steps and the, and the approach taken by ASEAN during this pandemic, during this pandemic is not as bold as other 
uh, as our sister organization, as uh, the European Union. But I would say, and I would emphasize, uh, put an emphasis on this, uh, that uh, ASEAN has maintained its centrality. ASEAN has managed to maintain its centrality, uh, exemplified by how uh, ASEAN has attracted its partners from the US, Russia, China, Japan, or even Australia to keep working with ASEAN during this pandemic. So whether or not ASEAN is becoming weaker or stronger, uh, I think it's very interesting to look, uh, to approach this question from what I said earlier. Uh, and following up on your question, uh, whether, uh, you know, like what, what has this pandemic told ASEAN? Uh, I have several things in mind. Uh, I think that this pandemic has told ASEAN to cooperate better. Uh, you also mentioned about RCEP and the South China Sea. I will go to, to it uh, in a minute. So COVID-19 pandemic exposes actually not only the drawback of ASEAN, uh, but it also exposes the shortcomings of other countries or even other international organizations. Uh, but let's talk about ASEAN first. Um, when we're talking about RCEP, I think that uh, in RCEP, ASEAN, uh, RCEP has exposes, uh, has exposed, has, has exposed uh, ASEAN's ability or the lack thereof uh, to convince India because as we all know, last year India kind of decided to postpone its membership in RCEP and we didn't see uh, any progress in India's supposed membership this year in RCEP. So that's the first thing. The second thing in South China Sea, I think the South China Sea dispute exposes the internal division in ASEAN. <clears throat> and, you know, uh, we have heard that the negotiation on the code of conduct on the South China Sea will be further uh, dragged in one or two years because of the negotiation and because, of, because the negotiation could not take place during this pandemic. Uh, and I'm not saying that other regional or intergovernmental organizations are better in handling this pandemic, but I think that, uh, but I think this COVID-19 crisis uh, has really pushed us to rethink the governance of uh, ASEAN cooperation. So that's the first thing. Uh, I think COVID-19 has told ASEAN to cooperate better and to rethink its approach to governance. The second thing uh, that I'd like to highlight is the fact that COVID-19 has pushed ASEAN to rethink its funding mechanism. So as you said earlier, there's the special um, ASEAN summit as well as the special ASEAN plus three virtual summit. It is very interesting to see during that summit, uh, the 13 countries attending the summit decided that they will uh, use the ASEAN plus three cooperation fund contribution uh, as one of the sources in, you know, in the ASEAN plus three cooperation during this pandemic. I would try to point out here that the ASEAN cooperation plus three fund uh, contribution is very interesting in my view. Uh, so this ASEAN plus three cooperation fund is divided between 13 countries, right? Uh, and the amount of this fund is at 3 million US dollar. But the way it is divided really startled me. So that 3 million is divided into uh, 2.7 million and 300 thousand uh, dollars. The 2.7 million 
is divided uh, by three. So each plus three partner will contribute around 900,000 USD. And then the three, the, so that makes up 2,700,000 USD. So the rest 300,000 USD is contributed uh, by the whole ASEAN members. So you, you can see the discrepancy of contribution in the ASEAN plus three uh, cooperation fund here. And I understand that, you know, this approach to funding is, uh, you know, it dates back long way ago to, you know, during the ASEAN development and, you know, during ASEAN's inception. But I really feel that this COVID pandemic has told us to rethink its funding mechanism and how it should, uh, you know, really distribute its, con uh, its contribution from its members. Uh, furthermore, I also think the third thing, uh, I think that COVID-19 has told ASEAN to be bold with new initiatives. Uh, during the special ASEAN and ASEAN Plus 3 Summit that you mentioned earlier, uh, there was an idea to establish this ASEAN Center for Infectious Disease. And interestingly, that initiative didn't come from ASEAN countries. That very idea came from Japan. So it was a Japanese uh, initiative that was brought to ASEAN Plus 3 Summit. So I feel that this uh, COVID-19 pandemic has exposed how you know, how, how, how are we lacking of initiatives in ASEAN? And I think ASEAN countries should be bolder with new initiatives in the future. So yeah, uh, I think that COVID-19 has given ASEAN the opportunity to reflect to what extent uh, can ASEAN members push uh, pushed for an ASEAN-centered cooperation. And on the bright side, as I mentioned, uh, ASEAN is able to keep pushing for an ASEAN-centered cooperation. Interesting. So um, the conclusion is that all ASEAN member states are seeing each other more relevant, right? And seeing the institution as becoming more important to handle this pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, interesting. Uh, in what ways, Angelo, you think Indonesia can strengthen its position in ASEAN as a regional player uh, amidst mm -hmm. this situation? I will be very, very brief here because the question is very straightforward. Um, so Indonesia is the largest player in ASEAN and will inevitably play an important key and uh, integral role in ASEAN. I remember that when I went for an exchange in the United Kingdom, uh, the international relations community in the United Kingdom pointed out to me that Indonesia is a regional player. And, you know, I, I found that very surprising because I didn't really feel Indonesia's leadership at that time in ASEAN. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know uh, that the international relations community across the continent, uh, in, in, in the UK and Europe, uh, regards Indonesia as a regional power in Southeast Asia. So that being said, we have an inevitable role as the big brother uh, in ASEAN, as much as I don't like to use the term big brother, but you know, it's inevitable that we will have that big and large. <laughs> and, so uh, are, and so are the ASEAN countries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think uh, answering that, answering your question, uh, I, I will touch upon Jokowi's, uh, the president's uh, disinterest in ASEAN. I feel, as a young person, I feel that the leadership in Indonesia, in Istana, should realize, should first realize the importance of Indonesia's leadership in ASEAN. Because I don't feel that the leadership in Istana has already realized that. 
And no matter how invested the foreign ministry in ASEAN issues or in, you know, in ASEAN itself, if the president does not show interest, then the foreign ministry cannot go so far. And I'd say that during the former uh, minister's Natalagawa's leadership, uh, as well as, uh, you know, uh, the previous one, uh, Indonesia could go far because the leadership in Istana was also invested in ASEAN. So I feel that if Indonesia wants to strengthen its position in ASEAN, uh, the leadership in Indonesia, in Istana, should also be interested and should be invested in ASEAN as well. Okay, so, so the way to strengthen our position in ASEAN is by convincing our president that. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say that. Okay, great. Um, Angelo, I'd like to touch upon the, 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 the hottest issue in the region now. It's, it's, it's on the South China Sea uh, mm -hmm. issue. Uh, you know, over the past few weeks, the tension in South China Sea has been rising, and in July 13th, uh, 2020, the Secretary of um, uh, State of Mike Pompeo in a press statement reaffirmed the U.S. commitment in the Indo-Pacific and rejected Beijing's claim in offshoring resources in most of the South China Sea. Mm -hmm. uh, Secretary Pompeo even claimed uh, and even saying that the PRC has been bullying Southeast Asian uh, claimant mm -hmm. states like the Philippines, Malaysia, and Indonesia. Uh, I'm mm -hmm. not yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a debate, yeah, if we talk about mm -hmm. Indonesia. But uh, in, in another statement, uh, he added that China cannot be allowed to think about the South China Sea as, a, as its maritime empire. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in contrast, you know, the Chinese ambassador to the Philippines, uh, uh, His Excellency Huang Xilian, uh, called out the U.S. for its intensified meddling in the South China Sea maritime disputes and is accusing the U.S. as using uh, uh, the sea issue as a geopolitical game. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you say from this issue? Uh, when, when the South China Sea becomes the playing field of the U.S.-China rivalry? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, responding to this question, right, uh, I, I first would like to uh, bring your attention to this, uh, you know, uh, warning by some scholars. So some scholars have warned that uh, the World War III could start in South China Sea. The word is could. So I don't want this, right? I mean, and a lot of other young people, I believe, don't want this. And they don't want that the World War III to start in the South China Sea. And I believe that ASEAN is also not interested in having the Third World War to start in the South China Sea. Um, I agree with uh, the fact, uh, uh, in a sense, that the South China Sea is and never should be ASEAN's back, uh, never should be China's backyard. Uh, and I believe that where international law governs, that part of the South China Sea is international waters, that very part should remain, be regarded as international waters. Uh, I think ASEAN countries are, in a sense, benefited from US presence in South China Sea. Uh, and that U.S. has provided international public goods, quote-unquote, uh, by sailing its vessels where, to, to where international law allows. So that's the argument that the U.S. always says, right? So they, they let their vessels to cross the South China Sea uh, where, international law, uh, where international law allows. 
So there is one problem. The problem here is the fact that the U.S. has not ratified the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea. The fact that they're trying to use this freedom of navigation um, concept, by, uh, but, but they're not ratifying to the very international law that governs it, I, I, I believe that, it, that that poses a problem. And this, uh, at some point, uh, could delegitimize U.S. position and role in the South China Sea. Um, so I believe that ASEAN should continue its engagement with China in South China Sea because we already have the negotiation on code of conduct. ASEAN should not lose grasp on this process. Uh, well, on the other hand, ASEAN should really know how to balance its cooperation or its dependence, so to speak, with America, which plays as a police in the South China Sea. So I think uh, one of the best solutions that we have, even though I believe that it will not be the end goal of this process, uh, I believe that having a code of conduct is, a, is, a, is, a, is the way to go. At least if we have a framework to govern how countries should behave around the South China Sea, uh, that could really minimize the, uh, the chance for countries to go to war in the South China Sea in the first place. Awesome. Awesome. Um, uh, my last question, Angelo, you know, uh, let's, let's be more relaxed <laughs> this time. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. as an advisor of ASEAN Society at UGAN, uh, I'm sure that you see the importance of understanding ASEAN, right? Mm -hmm. uh, what do you want to say to our listeners, uh, which mostly are young foreign policy enthusiasts mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. in Indonesia or elsewhere, or maybe in, in ASEAN uh, states, right? Um, why do we need to be aware of ASEAN? Okay, oh, that, that's a very good question to ponder. Um, I think, you know, Noto, uh, we were both uh, former students of international relations and we were thought uh, that ASEAN is the only existing international organization, so to speak, in Southeast Asia. And, you know, ASEAN has reached the age of 53 this year. Um, and ASEAN is not perfect, I agree, but ASEAN has provided, you know, uh, the platform for countries to cooperate, to have a dialogue, to solve regional problems and regional, uh, and the region's, uh, most pressing issues for 53 years. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I'm very well aware that you're well acquainted with Professor Kishore Mabubani. Uh, I'm very inspired by uh, his concept of ASEAN miracle, how ASEAN has transformed uh, Southeast Asia as, you know, as one of the most conflicted region in the world, uh, to, call, to call it the Balkan of Asia, to become one of the most peaceful region in the world in 2020, this year, you know, like today. Mm -hmm. So I believe that ASEAN has provided uh, and has brought peace to the region, has provided uh, and has uh, served as the platform for cooperation with uh, uh, between Southeast Asian countries. So I believe that uh, young people should be really invested in ASEAN because ASEAN could help us to find the solution of uh, to the regional to the region's most pressing issue in the future. Um, yeah, I, I feel I'm, I'm very much optimistic with the outlook of ASEAN even though I understand that some other young people might be more uh, pessimistic about ASEAN, but I strongly believe that um, 
more young people should be more invested and you know uh, should be more interested in ASEAN because of the potential that it could unleash once more young people are becoming more engaged in ASEAN. Great, thank you so much. Uh, I'm sure that our listeners are so inspired and after this trigger to read more about ASEAN. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> for everyone, please uh, take a look or check out the UGM ASEAN Society. I'm sure they have a lot of uh, interesting things to do in the future. And, um, and please uh, stay in touch, uh, Angelo. And thank you so much once again for uh, talking to me in this Friend Positive Talks interview. Thank you very much for having me, Nato. Have a good day. Thank you. Goodbye.